Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, A Reality to be Experienced, was given by Darren Roundson and is the 15th in our series, The Kingdom. Real quick, before we jump into our, our, our sermon um, this morning, if you need a Bible, there's some Bibles on the side. Grab a Bible, go to Mark chapter 4. But before we get there, I just wanted to encourage you, for those of you that have been coming for a while and you're, you're not involved in a community group, um, I just really want to encourage you this morning. Our community groups are where we actually experience authentic community. Um, and for those of you that are, are doing this alone or just coming on Sunday, you're really missing out on so much of what it means to be a follower, what, so much of what it means to be part of a body. The community groups are the places where we, uh, where we share our lives. It's where we, we, we bring our junk. It's where we, we're held accountable. It's where we practice rhythms of discipleship like mission and worship and, and learning how to belong to other people, where we learn to lay down our preferences and accept others. Um, and so I just want to encourage you. I know there's a lot of hurting people in our room, there's a lot of us that just need someone to walk with us. If you're not in a community group, sign up today and get in, get in one, please, okay? Okay, enough of that. Um, go to Mark chapter 4. We have been doing a series on the kingdom, kingdom of God, and, and, and we're looking verse by verse through the book of Mark, and we're trying to simply define what the kingdom is. What, what is it like? What does Jesus say about it? How is he defining the kingdom? And last uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus, uh, his first teaching. And his first teaching is, okay, is this making a weird noise? Okay, move it away from my mouth. Okay, sorry, this is my second time on this thing. Okay, is that better? All right, there we go. Okay, good. Thanks to the technical guy in the front. Thanks, Tyler. Okay, so Jesus begins to teach, and he teaches um, a, a parable, and parables are, are word pictures. They invite us into a story. They're, they don't just tell us what it's like. They're, they're trying to invite us to find ourselves into a story, find ourselves in characters, find ourselves in the story so that we can respond, so that we can make a decision, so we can move forward. So we look at the first parable. It's the parable of the sower, and the sower is really Jesus saying, hey, look, when any, t- any time you're going to preach the kingdom of God, any time you're going to bring a, 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 a sow a seed, which is the gospel, there are four different types of ways people can receive that message. And at, at any given point in our, in our journey with Christ, we are all of these types of soil. He says the first is the message is thrown out and it just doesn't get through, to, through at all. The second is that the message is embraced immediately and it's accepted, but it's found hard to live so it doesn't grow in a person. The third was that um, the message is rendered ineffective because there's too many distractions. And our lives are filled with so many things that we just can't even embody the life of Christ. It's just an attachment, an accessory. And so eventually, our discipleship is choked out because of worries, because of money, because of, of, of life outside of the kingdom. You guys with me on that? Remember that. And then the fourth type of response is that the message is sown and it lands in a type of soil that, that just receives the word and it produces a crop that is 30, 60, 100 fold that is far beyond any normal crop. That's what the kingdom is like. So we hear this. Jesus gives this type of response and then he's going to go and, and we're going to go pick up on verse 21 of chapter four. Um, but, but he's going to begin to talk about what the kingdom of God is like. He's going to describe its nature. What is this kingdom like? So go to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. And why don't we start with verse 1. I want to remind us of something real quick. Um, It's in, uh, what page is it? I don't know. 815. Sorry, I just have one of these. I'm not prepared. Mark chapter 4. 
um, verse 1. Here we go. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him, and he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them um, many things in parables. So Jesus is, is overwhelmed by a crowd. Now, this crowd, these are mostly made up of Jewish people, and this particular crowd has very specific expectations about what was going to unfold at some point in history. Okay, these, they're, the, the, the Jews, they had been kicked around by different groups of people for a number of years in the land of Israel, which was essentially just north of Africa, and to the west was Europe, and to the east was Asia, and they were kind of in this prime area as a land that all the world powers wanted to dominate because it essentially connected all the other continents. So Israel, at one point in time, had been dominated by all the global powers. It was conquered by the Persians, the Assyrians. It was conquered by the Egyptians, the Greeks. And to the most recent occurrence, it's, it's occupied in Jesus' day by the Roman Empire. So, so the crowd that's there has a very particular understanding of the way history is going to unfold eventually in time. They had specific expectations that was so enriched and so deep into their story and in their history that they, they had prophets in the Old Testament that would speak to them. And they would say, hey, guys, this is not how it's always going to be. We will not be ruled by others forever. One day God will come and he will act on our behalf. He will defeat our enemies. He will restore a kingdom. And God is going to do what, what he did like he did back in Exodus. So there was this expectation that the enemies of Israel would be crushed. They'd be defeated. They would, their humiliation would no longer go, go on. They wouldn't be humiliated. The Roman soldiers would stand outside of the temple of Israel on watch while they did worship. Remember, these are God's chosen people and they were dominated by a foreign power. And so deep in their story, deep in their history, the crowd that is listening to Jesus, every single boy and girl knew this type of story. They had long expected that, that God will act on their behalf and all the bad enemies, all the people that were against Israel would be defeated by God once and for all. And Israel, all the Jews would be placed as kings and queens of the land. And they would be the nation that dominated all other nations. This is what it meant to anticipate the kingdom of God coming. And so their ancestors, their ancestors used language to describe this type of event. The ancestors, the Old Testament prophets used very specific language that would describe what would happen when God would come once and for all and restore Israel to the nations. Go to um, Isaiah 60, 65, and it's page 607, Isaiah 65. I just want to read to you a couple of um, a couple of thoughts real quick, and go to verse twenty-one, Isaiah sixty-five, verse twenty-one, uh, uh, page six hundred seven. It says this: This is what what in the age to come, in the, when God would bring His judgment. This is what's going to happen. It, the, the prophet Isaiah describes it. He says, "They shall build houses and inhabit them, inhabit them. Sorry, <laughs> habitat them." Um, Listen to this. They shall plant 
vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Go to Jeremiah 31. I just want to give you a quick snapshot. This this type of language is all over the Old Testament when it begins to describe what God is going to do. It says that they're going to plant vineyards. When when God comes and restores Israel, they're going to plant vineyards. Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31, page 642. Let's go to verse 27. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I, I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. These two passages and all over the Old Testament, you have these pictures of when God comes and he restores Israel. You have these images of crops, of seeds, of planting, illustrations of farming, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they describe the day when God comes. He's going to plant seeds. So now you can imagine when Jesus comes along and he begins to describe the kingdom of God. And he starts using language like seeds, planting, sowers, the crowds which have developed expectation of what this is going to look like. They have been enriched and, and, and read over them since they were a kid. God will one day bring a Messiah, and this is what it's going to look like. It's going to be like planting vineyards. It's going to be like sowing. And, and when Jesus comes and he says, hey, the kingdom of God is like a sower, when he starts using language like seeds, like planting, you can understand that the crowds, they begin to whisper. They begin to, to buzz. They begin to, there's this frequency in the air. Is this, is this the Messiah? It's, is this what we have been expecting? Are we, are we ready for, for the, the regime change? The kingdom is coming. We are going to be kings. He's going to conquer our enemies. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's coming. Are we going to, is this what we've been waiting for? And then he tells them stories of what this kingdom is like. So go to Mark chapter 4 verse 21. We're going to look at the three different stories, and then we're going, to, um, we're going to talk about it, and then we'll land together in trying to understand what this means. You with me? You with me? All right, here we go. Verse 21. So Jesus begins to describe what this kingdom is like. He says, first of all, he's going to give a warning, um, a promise and a warning. He says, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket or under the bed and, no, uh, and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret ex- except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to those who have more will be given, and from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. So he starts off, before he jumps into the kingdom, he gives them this, this weird kind of illustration. Hey, you don't put a lamp under a basket or under your bed. That's not what light is designed for. It's, it's to show you what's in the room. It's like me saying, hey guys, I'm going to talk to you today, but I'm going to cover up my microphone even though I have it on. The purpose of the microphone is to broadcast to all of you what I'm trying to say to a large crowd. Jesus is saying, what I'm telling you guys here in this small town of Galilee. The, the purpose of us speaking in secret is not that we just know this secret, this little secret for us. It's that everyone will know one day about the kingdom of God, that everyone will understand that God is Yahweh, the ruler of the world. He's saying, look guys, I have the secret. You guys are hearing it for the sake of the world. Are you with me? And then he gives him this weird little warning. He says, hey, um, 
The promise is don't worry about the kingdom message. This will be public, public knowledge soon enough, but make sure that you practice what you hear. Mark is going to say 10 times in, the, in Mark chapter 4 that the emphasis of Jesus' teaching is that you have ears to hear and you live out what he says or you embody the message. You don't just listen like skeptics or someone on the outside. But no, 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 you've got to understand by following and putting it into practice. So Jesus says, look, make sure you're listening now because you're going to need to know it. But the warning is this. If you don't listen and practice what you have now, and you will not be able to see God moving in your midst when he is doing that right now and when he comes in the future. So this little phrase that he uses, it's just this weird kind of um, uh, phrase. He says, hey, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get. In one respect, it's kind of like this. The more you begin to understand the words of Jesus, the more you allow them to permeate in your life, the more you develop a life of discipleship, the more you'll get out of it. Does that make sense? Let me give you just a quick illustration. Jesus, uh, he says, hey, there's, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't be angry, right? He, he basically gives a new law um, that, that in personal relationships, anger is off the table. So what that also means is that manipulation is off the table. Um, coercing someone to do what you want them to do is off the table. Forcing an outcome is off the table. So as you develop just that, and as you press that into your relationships, what do you notice? Your relationships begin to, to move into a deeper sense of intimacy. Does that make sense? The more you allow the teachings of Jesus to permeate into your life, the more you'll get out of it. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So the emphasis is on practicing what you hear, allowing it to permeate. Now, let's move on because uh, these parables are wonderful. So they're expecting a certain type of kingdom. And so Jesus tells another parable he also said in verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how the earth produces uh, of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. A couple of observations about this parable. When he begins to describe the kingdom, he describes it as a sower sowing a seed that grows. That the kingdom of God has something to do with creation. It's like rhythms of life that there's, there's rising, there's, there's going to bed, there's day, there's night, there's seed time, there's harvest time. There's rhythms of rest, rhythms of activity. There's just this perspective that this kingdom of God is as if someone's planting seeds. Another observation. A seed grows overnight. If you were expecting the kingdom of God to come in the first century, how might you expect this kingdom to come? How might you anticipate God bringing this glorious new restoration of all things. How might you anticipate it? Maybe like the Old Testament prophets that said God would come like a cedar tree, which represented might, and he would come with, with signs and wonders, with, 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 with fireworks. It would be announced. It should be more like a revolution or a regime. It should be like a hostile takeover. Remember, these guys have been oppressed. But Jesus describes a kingdom that comes and 
it grows over time. But the zealots in the first century, they were a branch of Jewish, a branch of Jewish, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, anyways, they're, 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 they're crazy. <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? National, zealots, I know, but what are they like? Extremists, thank you. Nobody said it, but I got it. Um, they're not like terrorists, although it seems like it. But they're extremists. They had weapons of mass destruct- destructions. They were stockpiling swords and knives and, and weapons. They, they put them in their synagogues. They put them in their house. They carried swords because if the Messiah was going to come, the Messiah was going to look like Marcus Aurelius from the Gladiator. You guys with me? Husband of an of uh, adulterous wife. Father to a rebellious son. We will have my, my revenge in this age or the age to come. That was great. I wrote that myself. He's going to come like the gladiator, and they're going to charge the Roman Empire. They're going to kill the guards that are outside the temple. They're going to take down what has been rightfully theirs all along, and they're going to destroy their enemies. That's what the zealots believed. And then there's the Pharisees. How did they expect the kingdom to come? They, they believe that the, the, the Pharisees believe that they would midwife. You could, I don't know what that is. You can midwife. Um, you, can, you could midwife the, uh, the kingdom of God to come. And if everyone in, in Israel would, would live out the Torah without sinning for one day, they believe that the Messiah would come. So that on their own hands, they, they, they just preached holiness and separation. And so that if everyone would just not sin once, the Messiah would come. So they believed that the kingdom would come and it would just be as, as hostile as the zealots, where they would be established as the rightful owners of the world, the rightful rulers of the kingdom. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who sows a seed. He doesn't know how it grows. Goes to sleep, rises up. Day and night, it grows by itself, but when the time comes, he brings out his sickle. And notice this, that the kingdom of God is dynamic. It's slow. It's patient. Harmless at first. But then it grows. And, and then the end of the story, it says that um, the, person, the farmer comes out and goes out with a sickle because the harvest has come. And that, that is just uh, like filled with imagery from Joel chapter 3, verse 13, where Joel begins to describe what will happen when God will bring his judgment once and for all. And, and he begins to describe it. There's going to be terrible disaster coming over God's people, but God will restore their fortunes, pour out his spirit, and they will reap a harvest of judgment against all the other nations. And Jesus says, look, guys, that promised judgment is coming, but it's not going to be like you think. You want it to be a regime change. You want it to be um, front and center, but it's going to come through the night. It's going to come slow. So as, as we put our faith in Jesus, we realize that our faith requires us to sleep, to rest, to rise, to work, to plant seeds, but to confidently and humbly accept the fact that God is has and continues to move and invade this earth, not like a crusade, but like a seed that's planted. And as disciples, we, we don't try to provoke the harvest. We don't reach our hands and see if the seed's growing. We don't add fertilizer. We trust the seed to grow. And when the harvest comes, we go to work. You with me? What's the kingdom of God like? 
He continues. Let's go. Um, he says, uh, verse 30, he also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it, grow, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. Like, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which really isn't the smallest of seeds. Everyone would have known that when he would have said this. But the emphasis is not in the size of the seed that's planted. The emphasis is in the outcome of growth. That the mustard plant was not something that you'd want to sow into the, the normal garden. Because what would happen is it would overwhelm the entire garden at one point. It would be over here. It would be over here. The branches are just all over the place. It's literally spreading out through the entire garden. And and, and he uses this imagery that the branches will shade and that the birds of the air will find its nest. There's in Ezekiel and Daniel when describing the age to come, when describing the kingdom, you have this imagery of this giant tree coming and the branches shade all of the earth. And it was this idea of of covering, God's presence covering over the entire earth. And Jesus saying, hey, that's happening. It's going to come not like a tree. It's going to come like a mustard plant that just pops up all over the place. It's going to overwhelm the garden. It's going to overwhelm the entire garden. But then he says the birds of the air, not just birds, which is the Old Testament language, but the birds of the air, which is commonly referred to as Gentiles and enemies of Israel. Now you hear this, so you're, you're with them. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be like that. I read that in Ezekiel and in Daniel. Yes, this is great, the branches, but then he says the birds of the air will make their nests. No! Imagine if you're in the first century. That's saying that the Roman soldier that's occupying, it has a part to play in the kingdom to come. Or imagine if you're a recipient of this letter. And you're, you're in Rome, and your brothers and sisters are being lit on fire for Nero's parties or you're being thrown to the lions, or you're being used as as bait for the gladiator wars, or they're just killing you. That's what they were doing to the Christians. He's saying, no, 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 those guys, they have a part in the kingdom that will be established by God, but it's not going to be what you expect. Are you with me? The kingdom of God is like a mustard plant. It grows. It's slow. It overwhelms, there's restraint, there's planting. And then he concludes, sorry, and he finishes this, this teaching. He says, hey, with many such parables, he spoke word to them, spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Remember, this is just an alluding back to the way we have to interpret parables. The only way we can understand it is if we're following Jesus with our lives. The only way we can grasp the secrets of the kingdom is if we're in fact participating in the life of Christ. So what do we hear in this? What is the kingdom of God like? We have to participate in it. The seed grows overnight. It's like a mustard seed. This was not the kingdom that the disciples were expecting. They, they wanted to be kings. They wanted a hostile takeover. That's not justice in their eyes. At one point in John chapter 8, they're going to try to force Jesus to be king, and he doesn't l- allow them to do that. Time and time again, Jesus is redefining what the expectations of the kingdom were like. So let's just say this. The kingdom that Jesus talks about wasn't what the disciples were expecting. And he says to them, some of you are going to get it, 
Some of you aren't. Some of you are going to get it. Some of you aren't. Some of you are going to get it. Some of you aren't. Now, I want to I illustrate this sermon. I know there's, there's some confusion, but I think in order to understand what's going on, I need to illustrate it like this. So I need... I need um, Okay, hold on. This is going to be great. This is not my illustration. I stole this from another pastor, so I am unoriginal, and that's totally fine. I need a couple. Let me see. A couple. Yeah, you guys. Okay. I need a couple that likes music. You too. You like music? Okay. I need you to write on a piece of paper. Sorry. Hi. Welcome to the garden. Hi. Hi, you guys. Um, all right. So here's a piece of paper. Both of you separately. I'm going to give you a song. Do you have a pen? Somebody give him a pen. We need one more pen. I'm going to give you a song. You can put this in your ear. Um, you know how to use this. Both of you put this in your ear. No one else look at the song. I want you to do your best. You can push play in just a second. I want you to describe in words this song. Give me a description. Don't look at the song. Give me a description of what this song is. Write it down. You can use your Bible as a table. That's totally fine. Um, okay, I need someone else. A volunteer. Let me see. Who wants to volunteer? No, no, not John. Okay. Uh, okay, here we go. We'll go front row. Here we go. All right. I'm going to get caught up. You, okay. okay. I want you. Here's a picture. No one else look. Okay. Here's a picture of, there's a picture there. I want you to, in your own words, des- describe to you the best of your ability. I want you to write in words what that picture is. Okay. Are you with me? All right. Go ahead. Start listening. Do that. Write. I'll come back to you in just a second. Now imagine, what did I do with my notes? Um, okay, everyone's like, what's going on? So imagine, uh, for those of you that surf, why they do that, um, why they do that. For those of you that surf, you'll get this illustration. Imagine if I was trying to describe surfing to someone. Now, what if I said surfing is kind of like skateboarding? Those of you that skateboard are like, okay, I can get that. I, I understand skateboarding. Those of you that surf are like, not really. Like, Really? that simple or if i said hey surfing is like um it's like snowboarding down a mountain right those of you that snowboard are like yeah i get that you know got my goggles um watching out for traffickers that hit you in your back on your first try not that that happened to me yeah actually did um but you get that but the surfers are like whoa whoa it's nothing like snowboarding but imagine if i tried to describe it to you in words so for example i surf so or i used to so i'm like okay surfing it's like this so you, you got to grab a board you put on you put your leash on you take off into the water you got to duck dive the waves that come in you sit out there you wait for the perfect wave when that wave comes you want to position yourself to where you're right in the middle of the shoulder right next to where the the, the kind of the point is going to break and then you paddle in when the waves come and you paddle and paddle and paddle and when you feel like the wave gets you and picks you up you 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 begin to push yourself up also when you're paddling you don't paddle flat on the board you paddle with your chest up and so you're paddling and when the wave takes you you push yourself up you turn into the wave while you push yourself up you position yourself and then you're going to pump down the wave and that's how you surf those of you that surf are like yeah that's that's a pretty decent way of describing surfing others of you are like uh question crickets crickets or i could say maybe an event maybe hey surfing man it's honestly like a spiritual experience it's healing it releases anxiety. It gives me a sense of peace. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced. You can't, you can't compare it to any other sport. Are you with me? All right, shut the music off. You, you got your best of you. Okay, got a picture here? All right, 
Let me uh, grab that from you. Some of you are like, okay, there's a song that he played. Thank you so much. Can I hand this to you real quick? Play it in just a second. Um, okay, so what, what song, will you hand this to him when he comes? Thanks so much. What song did I choose? Some of you are okay, I want to know what, the, what song he chose. What, what's, what's it really like? What, what's the picture that he chose? Okay, hold on. Let me see which, which one goes with what. Okay, here we go. Good. What's the picture like? So I, I played them a song, right? You with me? Everyone's kind of confused. Some of you are like, I want to know what song. What, what's a song like? And so I, I, I gave them a song. They, they wrote it down, and here's what they said after I played it. Um, they said, energetic, uh, energetic, energetic, fast, drums, happy, forward thinking, promising, uh, okay, drumbeat, fast, Movie soundtrack for the beginning of a huge, fun journey. That's good. Or at, at the end of a protagonist rides off into the sunset. Great things to come. <laughs> Describing nature. How many of you know what song she's talking about? What they're talking about? Okay, play the song real quick. soundtrack for the beginning of a huge fun journey energetic drumbeat happy forward thinking can you the kingdom of god is like trying to describe a song with words before you've heard the song are you with me so you could say it like this the kingdom of god is a reality to be experienced the kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. Write this down. The kingdom of God is first and foremost to Jesus, a reality to be experienced. This is something that we have to experience to get. You either get it or you don't. So the picture. So he writes, um, it's an impressionist painting, a bridge over a stream with lilies. There are reeds on the bank, willows, branches, over the head, this is really good. You can see the reflection of the trees on the surface of the still water. How many of you are seeing the picture he's describing? Put the picture up real quick. You guys, you, did you see that? How many of you have seen this in, in, at the museum? How many of you have seen? So you're like, this is not as good as the real life picture. The kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. Now go to another picture. Some of us have seen it in the real life. This is actually Giverny. My wife and I got to go here. I, that is a picture of the lily pond that Monet painted at his house in Giverny. Some of us can actually have seen it in the museum. Some of us have been there in real life. Some of us can taste, touch, feel, and know what the kingdom of God is like. Are you with me? The kingdom of God is a reality 
to be experienced. When Jesus is asked, what's the kingdom of like? He, he says, first and foremost, it's a reality to be experienced. You can write about it. You can talk about it. You can think about it. You can touch it. You can taste it. But you can try to describe it. But it's like trying to de- describe a song with words before someone has actually heard the song. It's like trying to describe a painting before you've actually seen the painting. So when Jesus says, says parables, the parable in Greek means literally to place beside. The Greek word for parable is to place beside. Now catch this. Jesus takes us on stories and he places stories beside the actual experience of the kingdom of God. He plays stories behind the actual experience. So it's like trying to describe a picture that you haven't seen. So Jesus, when asked, what is the kingdom of God like? He tells us a story. And some of us are going to get it, and some of us aren't. Are you with me? Some of us have heard the song, and we know it's fast. We know that it's a movie sound. It's a soundtrack to a movie that has a great journey. We get that. So when we, when we hear parables like this, they're, they're placed beside our experiences in life. Parables like this are placed beside the experiences we have in life. Let me, let me give us a couple of impl- implications really quick and some thoughts. Question is this, are you experiencing this type of kingdom? The kingdom that talks about it being slow, patient, that grows, that overwhelms. Are you expecting a different type of kingdom? Some of us are expecting God to just change our lives, but we don't realize that he gives us his spirit that helps us move, plant seeds in us to grow and overwhelm. A couple of thoughts. Some of us, our, our lives are literally in chaos. Our relationships are broken down. Husbands that should love us have left us Sons that should be following us and with us and embracing our home have rebelled against us. Some of us have had parents that have been divorced. Literally, our circumstances, we don't have enough to get by. We're struggling. We're moving. It's stressful. Life is in chaos. But when you hear parables like a mustard seed, you have to hear that this is really good news. Because some of us, we can't even describe to people how we have this sense of hope that in the midst of absolute chaos, there is something inside of us that says, no, 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 this tree is going to overwhelm everything else. Amen. Amen. Placed beside our experiences, do we experience that type of kingdom? Some of us have marriages that are so broken and and we're just thinking there's no way in a million years that I actually can pick up this fractured mosaic piece of whatever it used to be. But God says, hold on. I'm throwing some seeds. Your job isn't to fix it. But it's to go to sleep. It's to pray. It's to tend. And be prepared for when the harvest comes. That's good news. That's the experience of the kingdom. Some of us, we are the only Christians, the only ones following Jesus in our family. And you have been Christian most of your life, and maybe they haven't, and you just have no hope. Well, I'm just letting you know today that the good news, the encouragement, is that actually God has given you as a seed to your family community. It's not your job to coerce them into following Jesus. Your job is to be a seed, to just speak truth, to be gracious, to be patient, to allow it to grow to be the kind of person that Jesus will trust with more 
Some of you are in the workplace and you're wanting to get out of that. You want to be in real ministry, but God's placed you where he has you for a very specific purpose so that you indeed can experience the kingdom here and now and bring life that will include birds of the air. A few stories as I think about this um, one story. Both, both of these stories happened um, my sophomore year in college, but they're unrelated, although they're, they might be related. I found out this morning. Um, first story, I was a, a youth pastor at the former church I used to be at, and I led a junior high group. And uh, one of the kids was I became really close to. He was in seventh grade at the time. I, was, I started leading it when he was in sixth grade. And his family embraced me um, the first time I, I got into to ministry and started volunteering, his family and took me in. I spent many days and nights at their, their, his parents' house. I, I loved his dad. And his dad was, was at that season in my life like a father. Um, and, and he just welcomed me. He showed me so many things. And I remember talking to my mom one time that, oh, man, I just want to be like this type of dad to my kids. And then um, that literally the next day after I had that conversation or even that night, He died. He died. He was 46. Massive heart attack. He was training to be a volunteer policeman. He was a successful businessman. He planted Rock Harbor. He was one of the first five elders. Um, he had an incredible ministry. He was the most hospitable person. He was trained to be a volunteer policeman, running five miles a day, died of a massive heart attack because his heart was twice the size of a normal human's heart. I can't tell you, I was at the memorial service, and here's the story. Literally thousands of people Crystal Lewis singing, a close friend. People just telling story after story about this man's life. Powerful. There was not one person that got on stage that didn't weep, that didn't cry, that didn't just, just say, his best friend just gets up there and sobbing, says, I don't even know how I'm going to figure this stuff out. Just despair. Christian. Except one person wasn't crying. His widowed wife takes the stage, stands as strong as you can imagine someone that just lost their husband of 17 years with not one tear in her eye and says, I know Jesus loved my husband more than I did and that I will see him again and I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. She stood there with confidence about this peace there are people in the audience that were like, yeah, I understand. I was just young. I was like, how, as my tears flow, how on earth can you describe peace? And it was as if that seed just immediately just fell over the entire congregation gathered to see Doug get memorized, memorialized, excuse me. A seed that just planted peace. It was a seed of peace. Another story. How, how, does this, how do these parables come alongside our life journeys? Well, I was reflecting about this. And um, I, my uh, junior year in high school, my parents divorced. Um, and it, my parents were married for 27 years. My dad uh, came up to us on, in a January and just said, hey, I'm divorcing. We're getting a divorce. And it was like a shock, 27 years, leader of church, led Christian counselor, just so did not see it coming, totally destroyed my perspective of her family. Wrecked my mom, wrecked my, my brothers. He, he took, left our house, went somewhere else. A year later, he got married. I mean, just left, I felt abandoned, the whole deal. And what started there was slow, and some of you can get this slow, unbelievable anger, resentment, hatred, 
hated my dad. Just, you know, when, when the thing about divorce is it just grows. It doesn't die. It just grows. You walk into the bathroom that used to be your parents and you just see the area where your dad's toothbrush used to be and just another thing that just comes up, anger, and you just build this pile of resentment. Some of you can understand this. My sophomore year in college, at this point, I wasn't talking to my dad. I wasn't in a relationship with him. I rejected his family, his new wife. I just, I was so bitter and angry at my dad. I, uh, I was at a church service and I hear, hear Jesus in just a feeling just say, hey, it's time to forgive him. And so response time comes and I hear, grab your cell phone, go outside. So I go outside, I grab the phone, I say, dad, I don't even know how I'm going to do this, but I just want you to know I forgive you. I completely forgive you and your new wife, and I want a relationship. What started as a seed of forgiveness, it's like a mustard seed, has now overwhelmed to where our families are embraced, our families are restored and healed. And as much as my dad has a whole other family, there is just this sense of forgiveness that is played on over and over, and it overwhelms the feelings of bitterness and anger. And for some of us, the word today is maybe some of you need to plant some seeds in your own heart of forgiveness. What's the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. You either get it or you don't. Are you with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for telling stories Thank you for giving us um, a different kind of kingdom that we even expect. Lord, that in the midst of lives that are completely shattered, you can say, actually, I, I, can, I can do a lot with this. In the midst of doubt and, and fear and uncertainty, you can say, I can do a lot with doubt. I can do a lot with fear. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are just hearing this peace this hope, this seed of forgiveness, this seed of actually this will overwhelm the whole. Hold on for dear life to the things that are true and live them out. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. I pray as, as we begin to embody, as we begin to live out this word, that this is a reality to be experienced, that more and more of us will get it. That we actually would begin to see our lives differently. That maybe the seed this morning is actually identity, that you are a beloved child of God. Maybe for some of you it's to wake up. God's got work to do and he wants you involved. He wants your work gloves on because he wants you to play a role in, in the participation of the renewal of all things. Maybe some of you need to go outside because you need to go forgive someone right now. You don't know how it's going to overwhelm. You don't know how it's going to heal all things, but you want to just plant a seed of forgiveness. So Lord, thank you for your message. We pray that your spirit will come and minister as we worship and pray together in your name. Amen. Hey guys. We're all participants. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the garden, or if you would like to find out more about the Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org. I come to wait.